So this, this Easter season that we're entering into, what some people call Easter Tide, that's what they call these next few months, uh, we're going to be really going for it, really seeking after the Lord as a church together. Uh, the elders felt led and the staff felt led, and we, we really feel that God has called us as a church to, uh, we're going to observe Ash Wednesday, this coming, this coming Wednesday night at 6.30 here at the church. There will be a worship service. Again, this is, the ashes represent repentance and a, a willingness to turn and follow Jesus, no matter what he says, as, as was said by Mike, uh, just to say yes, right? So Ash Wednesday is about us saying yes to God, turning and following after him. Uh, following Ash Wednesday is 40 days leading up to three days before Easter, which is symbolic of the time that Jesus Christ went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. You'll remember Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights, uh, and he, he resisted the temptations of the devil with the word of God, which he had inscripted on his heart, that he had memorized. And uh, it's an amazing, amazing story. So in, in honor of Jesus' uh, time in the wilderness with, with the enemy, you know, we take a time to, uh, to fast, to make a, sac- a spiritual sacrifice, or to take up a spiritual practice that could draw us near to God. So perhaps you will say, during these 40 days, I am going to study the book of Philippians every day. I'm going to go through it, study it, read the, read the study notes. This is going to be my practice, the study of, of this book. Uh, perhaps you would say, I'm going to have a practice of fasting one day, one day a week for the next 40 days, or for uh, a meal or a couple of meals a day. Uh, perhaps you will decide to begin observing the Sabbath, saying, you know what, I'm going to take a day of rest for the next 40 days. It's way more than I'm doing it now. So why not start small and just, just, just do Sabbath for the next 40 days and uh, celebrate the gift of rest that God's given us. Uh, you, could, you could decide to, that's, that's, that's taking on a practice. You could also decide to, um, to give something up during that time, you know, a lot. Of, I think the famous things are. We all know the famous things that people talk about giving up for Lent. Sometimes they don't hurt that much. We just we have a fried chicken dinner. We're okay, uh, or fried. Uh, sorry, fried fried uh, fish dinner. But you know, think of something that would be a sacrifice that would really draw you to God, because you, whenever you think about it, you start thinking about your relationship with God instead. Whether it be the you know, the end of the day ritual at your house with the television and. Or, or, or your rituals and your practices surrounding social media changing. These are all things that we can do to draw near to the Lord with the express purpose of drawing near to the Lord. So for that 40 days, we, we spend in this fasted state. And then on Monday, Thursday the, of Holy Week, you know, we come together and we're going to have a potluck meal together. We're going to break the communion bread in the context of that meal, just like Jesus did with his disciples. We're going to break that fast together. And we're going to have a, a Good Friday service where we reflect on, on, the, on the narrative of the crucifixion together uh, in, in the solemnly in our facility, and then Easter morning when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ after three days. It's going to be awesome. It's a living, it's like you are telling the story with your life. We talk about the days leading up to, to Jesus' birth, the Advent season. It's the same kind of thing. You're kind of acting out with your body something that you know with your heart and your mind, and it connects you just in a deep way to God. So I really invite you, Start out with us uh, th- this Wednesday at 6.30. Come on out. We're, we're inv- the whole worship team has been pretty much appointed to play. We're going to have the whole team up here pretty much. We're going have an opportunity to take on the ashes as a symbol of repentance and saying yes to God. And we're going to move forward as a church. So I just really encourage you to put some thought into that and see how God leads you during that time. But it's something that we, we felt very much led to, to bring you through. It's going to be an awesome uh, season.
one of the beautiful things about those 40 days is as we are seeking after God in this way and we're anticipating the resurrection, what do you know? The weather starts getting warmer outside. The sun is up for longer than just 5 p.m. It stays up till 7 p.m., you know? You get more daylight. And you just see how even in God's creation is built in this beautiful um, resurrection, death, and life coming from that death in a beautiful way in the spring. So I just love it. I love the idea. I love that God's called us to this. And I hope to see you this Wednesday at 630. So we've been, we've been going through this book, Gentle and Lowly, with our, with our small groups. And maybe perhaps this is advantageous for the revivals we hear about happening or the renewals that keep on, are happening around uh, Kentucky and, and the surrounding areas, as Jason pointed out. You know, today's topic is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with revival when it comes. In fact, some authors that I've read have said, if you really lived your life with the sealing off, in other words, you're, there's nothing coming between, you, coming between you and God, you're just saying yes to him in every way, and the wall's down, you're being honest before other people, that you could actually have continuous revival in your life every day if you really were transparent before God and before other people. That's an amazing opportunity. But sometimes God sees fit to do a big-scale work. And in my lifetime, I've never heard about one happening. But it's exciting to see that around the country, you know, students are seeking out to the Lord, repenting. Um, don't go on Twitter. Don't read anything anyone says about it. Just be thankful and pray that God would revive us. We all need it. There's lots of cynics out there. There's lots of people that are stinkers. Forget those people. Just love the Lord. Be thankful for what he does. You see the fruit, the tree is good. The tree is good. So today we're going to be learning and talking about the Holy Spirit. One of Jesus' favorite topics, especially when he got towards the end of his life, for reasons we will see. We learned in our small group this past week that, I don't know if you've thought about this before, that Jesus Christ is still in his human body at the right hand of God in heaven. You know? Um... Maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe you thought, well, he kind of became disembodied again like he was before creation uh, or in the, in the creation narrative. But no, his body ascended into heaven visibly. And he said, in the same way you've seen me leave you, I'll be coming back in the same way. Bodily return, right? Um, Jesus is embodied in, a, in this human body, sitting at God's right hand in God's realm of heaven. Now, people in our small group hadn't really thought about this before. And so we were kind of talking through it and, and talking about the implications of it. Jesus had this bodily resurrection. It was, it was his actual human body. And we know this because, uh, first of all, his body disappeared when he, when he rose from the dead. His body rose up. And then when he appeared to many people and his disciples over the 40 days, one of the people he appeared to was Thomas, who was unfortunately named Doubting Thomas. Because one story, he might not, like one day when he doubted, and, of course, now he's doubting Thomas. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, also an unfortunate name, um, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus first came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Jesus' physical body, even bearing the marks of his crucifixion, is ascended to the right hand of God in heaven as an eternal memorial to what his love for humankind. It's an amazing thought. His glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the body that's, that's sown perishable but raises imperishable. It's how Jesus was able to come into a locked room without unlocking the door. It's his, his real body, but it's a glorified body. And this, this is a huge comfort to all of us who are in Christ. Because, as someone pointed out in our small group, because he rose, we know that we will rise with him. And actually, that's in the scripture. It says that in the scripture. Um, what a great hope. He's the first fruit. He's the seed that was planted. And we are the tree that's growing. Um, this Jesus... Uh, who, who ascended before the eyes of his disciples in Acts 1. It was his physical body that resurrected. What an interesting thing that is. So on a day when we're talking about spirits, it might be good to talk about some other things that are in that category, like a physical body, right? So why does it help us to know that Jesus is still in his physical body, even though he's glorified and sitting at God's right hand? It's just another way we should be convinced that God is Jesus, that Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is both the Spirit of Christ and of God, the Trinity, right? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, it says in Colossians 1.15. This image of the invisible God ascended to God's right hand. In other words, if, we're, if, we, if we can think about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit interchangeably, to the point where, as one author has said, we should consider Jesus to be God's second self and the Holy Spirit to be God's third self. It's a way to talk about the Trinity in language we can understand. If, if, if the Spirit, the Son, and the Father, the embodied Jesus, the Spirit God, and the Holy Spirit of Christ are all one, then we know that the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about today, is God's very self. It's his essence. Poured out for us so that that same gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus, whom we've been talking about, whom the disciples experienced, um, could dwell within us and be with us forever. This is what Jesus prayed would happen. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you see Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. So when you read a story in your scriptures about Jesus interacting with sinners, with tax collectors, with the poor, the broken, the sick, people that were coming to him in humility... This same Jesus that responded to those people with compassion, with sympathy, with love, and even with healing and other amazing signs, this same Jesus is the same Holy Spirit who Jesus said would be poured out on every believer in the last days between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. Joel 2.28 talks about this prophecy that, you know, your young, the spirit will be pulled out and poured out on all mankind in those days. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even though my spirit's both men and women, my spirit will be poured out in those days. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ poured out into God's people. The same Jesus that we see comforting his disciples in John 14 in his physical body 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Is the same voice pleading with us by the Holy Spirit within us. This is God's will. So let's talk about the Spirit of Christ, or God's Spirit, or the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit, and who is the Spirit? We talk about spirit like we talked about body. You know, my human spirit animates me as a person. My human spirit is invisible, weightless, dimensionless, doesn't have any pull of gravity. Um, If my spirit were to leave my body, my body would collapse, and I would have lost my essence as a person. Which is why one of the number one things people say at a viewing, when you go see a viewing of a loved one, they they, they look at that and they say, they're just not there. This is an earthly vessel. There's not. That person is gone. Now, the spirit is what animates us and makes us who we are. Without our spirit, we cease to be ourselves. And again, the spirit is without any kind of weight or mass. It can't be measured, but the spirit is still something. It's something inside of us that's unquantifiable. Now, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts is the same as the Holy Spirit, which God promised to pour out in all men and women in Joel. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the essence of who Jesus is and was, the manifestation, as our book says, of the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. It's a portable, internal Jesus, which is why Jesus kept saying to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16, it's better that I leave, because this is going to be so much better. Imagine having me, my spirit, inside of you. Imagine that. As we all know, you know, matter has certain characteristics. Like we said, it has weight, it has mass, you can measure it. Spirit also has characteristics. Spirit is able to completely penetrate our physical bodies. Who, who, who you are as a person, your spirit, it goes through your personality, through your body, it's completely holistic and, and locked together. Your spirit, even the way someone walks, even the way someone moves around or the way someone talks, it's their spirit within them, right? Who you are in your spirit is, is in, in your body in this amazing way. And God's Holy Spirit has this same characteristic. It can penetrate everything, every part of a personality that invites it in. It can go to the point, to the deep point of, of transforming us inwardly. That's how deep the spirit can go. The spirit of Christ has no weight, it cannot be measured, I'm sure people have tried, has no mass, but it does exist in time and space as surely as you and I exist, and he can reach the deepest parts of our soul. Uh, We know Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 is a passage about the word of God, you know, Jesus is the word of God, the spirit is Jesus, you see where I'm going with this, Hebrews 4, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If this passage were were written today, 
with the, with the microscopes we have and the telescopes we have, what we would say, it splits the atoms, it splits the, whatever the smaller particles is, is that we can't see yet, because we don't have the right microscopes to see. It goes all the way down and penetrates deep down and can get inside of everything. The spirit is a, is a person. It's the spirit of Christ, the animated Christ. God's self. Jesus' self. Not made of matter, but having great substance and power to go deeply into our deepest places of our lives. Even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, if such a thing were possible. Even to the point of physically penetrating joints and marrow. This is how spirit works. I think if we think of the, of the spirit as only being the breath of God, which is, which is a word for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, or a wind of God, we, we kind of lose how personal the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is called the mind of Christ in Scripture. It's called the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit has Jesus' will in it, Jesus' intelligence, Jesus' deep compassion and sympathy for us and for others around us, just as if Jesus were among us still, walking by, saying, the fields are white for the harvest, the laborers are few. The Spirit of Christ is the same Spirit that uttered that to, to his disciples. The Holy Spirit loves us deeply within us, is able to see, to hear, to think, to desire, the same as any other spirit does, personality does. But the Holy Spirit is not just a personality, but the personality of Jesus Christ, unspoiled by the dehumanizing effects of sin. So in our, in our small group, we've been talking about this idea that Jesus has compassion, but he doesn't just have compassion like the most compassionate person we know. He has compassion unspoiled by sin. He doesn't have compassion with reluctance. He has full compassion. You know, whatever, whatever Jesus feels, whether it be anger, compassion, sympathy, uh, whatever those things are, Jesus feels those things in an unsinful way to the fullest extent possible. He's a passionate spirit. Uh, and the spirit of Christ is the same. The spirit of Christ is Jesus' will, Jesus' intelligence, Jesus' deep feeling and compassion and sympathy for us and, other, and others around us. You know, this is, this is Jesus, unspoiled by sin. And we have his spirit within us. You know, a lot of Christian songs talk about, give me your eyes so I can see the world that you see. Now, give me your heart. And in a very real way, because spirit can penetrate anything, it can even penetrate your human heart, your personality. Something that uh, A.W. Tozer talks about a lot, that we need to learn that God can, can and does get into our personality and make changes there too. This is what spirit does. This is what the spirit of God does. And over time, as we say yes to the work of the spirit in us, you know, we begin to be Christ-like in our own way. Now that we take on the personality of Jesus in the, in the sense of, you know, his likes and dislikes, talents and all these things, but Jesus's personality is perfectly, perfectly expressed through our unique, created image of God selves that God's made. It's just an amazing thought. So that you can see five different people who are wildly different in temperament, personality, gifting, and all of them you will say, I can sense that that person is like Christ. But they're completely different from this other person, who's also, you can say, this person is just like Christ to me. Because Jesus, his, his spirit, it penetrates so deeply into those core parts of us. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is why the Bible says 
you can be sanctified over time. In other words, made like Christ over time as you say yes to the work of the Spirit in you. God really does change you. He actually makes you uh, the best version of yourself possible. Who God created you to be in his image, but being pulled away from the effects of the fall and the effects of sin. You know, the Spirit of Christ, you don't lose yourself amazingly in this relationship, but you become you're fully human, finally. Fully alive in Jesus. Jesus was not dehumanized by sinning. He didn't sin. He was tempted but did not sin. You know, we have been dehumanized in a lot of ways through our sins and bad decisions. That's why we have to repent. But Jesus is after taking us to this place where we are, can, can finally be the person that he destined us to become. And if you don't believe that or don't know that, all you have to do is, again, take a look at Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Look at the way he walked with people. Look at the way he um, put up with a lot from people and gave people lots of chances and allowed people to fail. And yes, rebuked them sometimes, but only to make them move in this direction of Christ-likeness. Notice that God strives with us and hangs out with us despite a lot of uh, issues that we might have in our own parts. Without demanding that we change before we come to him, the Spirit invites us to offer ourselves to God. The Spirit does not have, again, weight or mass. It's unmeasurable. But the Spirit does contain the totality of Christ's heart for us and for other people. As our book Gentle and Lowly has pointed out, the Spirit actually has the ability to cause you to feel Christ's pure heart of love for you. Inwardly. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, the, the Bible says. The Bible says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit can actually make you see the pure, unspoiled, unsinful, self-giving love of God for you on the inside. Imagine living life accepting that message and feeling loved like that all the time. How would that change you, right? This is what those who are experiencing revival and and renewal are experiencing. They're experiencing Jesus' heart for them and for other people. And it's beautiful. It's not boring. It's not, when do we get out of this place? Like, these songs are going on too long. No more sermons. We just want to go to class. None of that. Students are not thinking those things that students normally think. They are so enjoying being immersed in, in the love of God. And they can see it for themselves and for others. We're good at hating ourselves, despising ourselves, being frustrated with ourselves, saying all kinds of horrible things about ourselves to ourselves. God is pouring his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit who's given us. That's what God's, God does. His unspoiled, pure love. Dane Ortland says in our book, the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us. Not just heard, but seen. Not just seen, but felt. Not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. In other words, Jesus is once again embodied by his people. 
as they offer themselves to God, to be his dwelling place, to be a dwelling place for his spirit. This is what? Your, your, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You've heard that old, old-timey scripture. Your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is a temple of the Holy Spirit as we come together in Christ. It's a really special thing to, to, to really think about the theological consequences of individuals in the church who are saying yes to God, who are filled with the Spirit, coming together to form a body on Sunday or wherever they, wherever they, they, they gather. The power and the majesty of Jesus that's revealed through that is it's incredible. And it looks different. Whatever church you go to, it looks different from church to church. Every church has its own personality that God has destined for it, but it all reflects the character of Christ. I'd love to see his unique work in people in, in churches. It's one thing to hear about the Father's love for you, or Jesus' love, but it's another thing to know and feel those realities in your spirit. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing to desire to feel the love of God in your spirit by his Holy Spirit. The Bible says we should expect to, to sense the love of God poured into our spirit uh, from God. You know, these, are, these are good things. So through Jesus' spirit within you, you feel and experience God's love for you and for others. And it transforms our, how we look at other people as well. You can f- and, uh, and again, it's one thing to hear It's another thing to experience, to, to know, to be settled in the love of God for yourself and for others. And that's what revival feels like. It feels like pure love poured out on God's people. In John 14 to 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit's work. And he talks about it in such a way that you can tell that he considers this to be a continuation of his earthly ministry. The work of the Spirit is him talking about the next phase of his career. Jesus did not go into retirement. He went into embodiment, a larger embodiment than ever before through many, many people. In John 16, 5 to 7, Jesus says this to his disciples. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. They were sad. Imagine Jesus' absence because they loved Jesus and they were loved by Jesus. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland said, what is the advantage of the Spirit coming? The natural reading of this passage is that he will rectify something that is wrong. And, and what is wrong? Well, sorrow has filled the disciples' hearts. Apparently, the coming of the Spirit will do the opposite of this. It will fill their hearts with joy in his presence. Spirit replaces sorrow with joy. The disciples were sorrowful that Jesus was leaving them. He had befriended them. He'd embraced them into his, into his heart. And they thought that Jesus' leaving meant that Jesus' Jesus's heart, his person, were, were leaving them. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit is coming. I can leave you in my body and return to you in my spirit. And the Spirit is the continuation of the heart of Christ for his people after his departure to heaven. The Holy Spirit is the heart of Jesus manifested within each believer uniquely, each disciple of Jesus Christ, both young and old. Because every, every child, however old they might be, four or five years old, that gives their life to Jesus, receives a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance. You know? 
you receive the Spirit, whether you're young or old. And as has been said before, there is no junior Holy Spirit. But God, the Spirit works with us as developmentally appropriate. He has better knowledge than Piaget about how we grow. He understands how our brains work. Even in children, he can reach them perfectly because he knows what they can receive and accept from him. He's gentle with children. When, God, when God's people come together, like us in the service this morning, each believer filled with God's Holy Spirit becomes joined to another, the other believers in unity and singing. And Christ's body is formed once again on the earth. In a very true way, God's presence is manifested every week, whether we are aware of it or not, in worship service. Um, because his children are coming together in his spirit and in unity. And sometimes by God's mercy and grace, we, we feel that. We feel that in our services. It feels like just love as we worship and sing. We can do it for a long time. But whether, whether we see it or not, it's, it's always a manifestation every week. As the, as the body comes together. And God delights to be asked for more, so it can be whatever we make it, right? We're seeking after God. And the, and the Holy Spirit, as we said, is nothing, nothing less than the heart of Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. The heart of Jesus towards sinners and sufferers. So you can take any interaction in the New Testament. Jesus interacting with a woman at the well. Jesus interacting with a uh, the woman that was dragged out caught in adultery or, or dealing with a, a tax, despised tax collector or dealing with a Roman centurion. You can read these stories and as, as saints have done for, for centuries in the church, you can personalize these stories because that personality of Jesus that's interacting with that person that you can relate to because you're also a sinner and sufferer and a broken person, right? You can see how Jesus receives them. And you know the Holy Spirit does the same. It's an amazing thing. Because Jesus is God, and God is the Spirit. The question we're almost, uh, the, the thoughts we're supposed to be having as we read these, these stories of Jesus interacting with others is, if God can receive this person, of course he can receive me. If God can receive this person, he can receive me. You know, God worked with a dead person and raised them to life in Lazarus. That's pretty hopeless, so... I don't know if you feel as hopeless as being dead, but God receives you right here where you're at. And he wants to do something. Jesus is still, of course, in his resurrected body at God's right hand, and he has sent his spirit to reside in every believer in Jesus Christ. That he also might be embodied through his church, his people on the earth. I'll put it this way, with the help of one of my favorite authors of all time, A.W. Tozer. He says this, If you were to suddenly be transferred to heaven itself, you wouldn't be any closer to God than you are now. For God is already here. All Jesus the Son is, the Holy Spirit is. And all the Father is, the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is in his church. So what will you find the Holy Spirit to be like? He will be exactly like Jesus. If you've read the New Testament, you know what Jesus is like. The Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. For Jesus was God, and the Spirit is God, and the Father is exactly like the Son. And you can know what Jesus is like by knowing what the Father is like. And you can know what the Spirit is like by knowing what Jesus is like. 
if Jesus were to come walking down this aisle in our church, there would be no frantic stampede for the door. Nobody would be screaming or frightened. We might begin to, to weep with joy that God has honored us with his presence in Christ, but nobody would be afraid of Jesus. No mother with their crying child, no, no man who's just stuck in his addictions and shame, um, no one who, who looks a certain way and, and causes other people to judge them harshly. Um, none of those people would be repelled by Jesus. If he came down this aisle, we would see the epitome of love, kindness, warmth, and sweetness. And that is what the Holy Spirit is as well. For he is the Spirit of the Father and of the Son. So what are the practical helps we receive from God's Holy Spirit? This has sounded philosophical. It sounded talking about matter and bodies and spirits and all these ideas about Jesus being the Holy Spirit. What is the practical help we receive from the Holy Spirit in all this? The big idea is clear, but you know what what idea, what difference can the Holy Spirit make in a life? Well, we can, ex we can expect the same help that Jesus gave his disciples as they walked with him, but even more effective help because it will come from his spirit within us and is accompanied by his power to do his will. Aside from the revelation of the heart of Jesus Christ within each believer and all that that entails, here are some things that the scripture teaches us that God's Holy Spirit will do inside of us. We're going to be really practical. John 14, 26. The Spirit is a helper. We spend a lot of time just thinking about that idea. The Spirit's a helper. He teaches and reminds us of all Christ has said to us. Romans 8, 34 and 1 John 2, 1. We read this in Gentle and Lowly. He intercedes, mediates, and advocates for us continually at God's right hand. Ephesians 1, 13. Upon salvation, he seals us in Christ, the Holy Spirit. John 3, 6, and 7. He regenerates us. He makes us new. He makes us more fully alive, more fully human than we ever thought possible. 1 Corinthians 3.16 He dwells within believers and fills them. Acts 1.8 He's a source of wisdom, revelation, and power. And as we saw in Joel, dreams and visions as well. If you'd like to read an interesting story about the work of the Holy Spirit, read Corey Ten Boom's A Hiding Place. I'm rereading it this week. And see how the Holy Spirit guides this young woman as she is trying to hide Jewish people in the walls of her, her family house in her, her father's watch repair shop. And see how the Holy Spirit guides her. I mean, go left, go right, that kind of stuff. When needed, the Holy Spirit will do that. will guide people in those kinds of ways. Corey also sees a vision from God the first day the bombing began in her city, she, she, was, she was awake with her family, and she saw a vision while she was awake of black cars taking her and her family and loved ones away. And it was God telling her what was yet to come. And then when it happened, she was comforted knowing that God knew that was going to happen. And just, please, read The Hiding Place. I would recommend that. I would recommend that if you want to see some work of the Spirit. Source of wisdom, revelation, and power. He, the Spirit convicts us. Convicts the world of sin in, 16, in John 16, 8. Again, he convicts us not to hurt us, but to help us. God doesn't want us to be stuck in sin. He rebukes us and corrects us for our good and disciplines us because he loves us. 
1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7, the Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts for the body's benefit. Galatians 4, 6, he testifies in our hearts that we are God's children. Galatians 5, he leads us. Also in Galatians 5, he makes us fruitful and sanctifies us, sets us apart. You see the amazing amount of things the Spirit does? And each of these could be a sermon. It really could be. He grants and nurtures, nurtures in us the resurrection life, Romans 8.11. He enables us to do away with sin and throw it off, Romans 8.13. He intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray, Romans 8.26. He guides us into truth, John 16. He transforms us into the image of Christ. The Spirit penetrates the deepest part of our personality and being and transforms us so we become like Jesus in the way that God's made us. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And finally, as I've said many times in the sermon, Romans 5.5, 5, he pours out God's love into our hearts. God's pure, unadulterated, sinless love he pours into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he's given us. Again, you could preach a sermon on any of these topics. I wonder which one of those ideas about the work of the Spirit speak to you this morning. Which one do you think to yourself? I could really use that. We could say that these amazing characteristics of the work of the Holy Spirit are really only a breath away from becoming reality in our lives. Um, we seek after God. Because God's Spirit is a spirit of possibility, of choices, of meaningful living, of not just existing, but living life and life abundantly, life to the full. So as Dane Orland asks in Gentle and Lowly, and this, this quote really struck me, what might it look like to open up the vents of our hearts to receive the felt love of Christ as fanned into warm flame by the Holy Spirit within? Open the vents of our hearts to receive the felt love of Christ fanned into flame by the Holy Spirit within. Tozer gives us this help as we consider how someone might receive the Holy Spirit and how one is filled with the Spirit. And this is one of the better how-to lists I've ever seen, because it, it's, it's very spiritual. And this is for all you practical people, right? To be filled with God's Spirit, number one, present yourself to God, your body to God. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, present yourselves then to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Tozer says, God cannot fill what he does not have. God is a gentleman. He goes where he's wanted. He goes where he's invited. He doesn't force himself on anybody. It's all about the yes we give to God. God cannot fill what he doesn't have. To be filled with the Spirit, you need to offer your body, your mind, your spirit, your love, your ambitions, your stuff, and yeah, even your personality to God. And if God really has all of you, then God can fill you with the Spirit, which will begin to penetrate everything that makes you, you. So step one, you know, offer yourself, your entire self to Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly. No need to clean up before you do this. Uh, leaving that to Jesus is always a better idea. So, warts and all, they say, with, with all of your sins and all your struggles and all your hang-ups and difficulties, all the ways in which you are trapped or in darkness, open yourself up to Jesus. Offer yourself Second, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. 
Luke 11, 9 to 13 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This might seem simplistic, but sometimes you have not because you ask not. You, just, you don't know to ask for it, and you don't ask for it, and then you don't have it. But James encourages us to ask. God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I call it my five-finger prayer. I say, fill me with your spirit, Jesus. When I don't know what to pray, fill me with your spirit. Let me know your love in my heart and for others. The third step comes from Acts 5.32, where it says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the third step is to obey, to obey our good God. Now, are you ready to begin obeying God as Jesus speaks to you, as he convicts you and leads you? Are you ready to live your life according to the scriptures as you understand them? You know, this is an important question to ask if you're seeking a filling from Jesus, and it will tell you, are you really offering yourself to God? Are you really willing to do what he says, to leave something behind, to take hold of something new? And finally, Galatians 3.2 encourages us to have faith in this process. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spear by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So, again, we, we receive the spear by believing what we hear. We have faith that God wants to do this, desires to do this, and we continually seek him. So this is a, this is a rinse and repeat process, I think. Every person receives the spear at, at salvation, but the, the Bible does teach us uh, in, a, in a very poignant way in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. And the tense of that isn't talking about a one-time thing. It's talking about continually be filled with the spirit, be set apart by the spirit. So continually present yourself to God. Continually ask God to fill you with his spirit. Continually obey what he's asking you to do. And finally, have faith in God and his process. This encouragement from Scripture is so, so, so powerful. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't do this, do that. Don't do that, do this. Be filled with the Spirit. You think it's fun to get drunk on wine? Try being filled with the Spirit. Try feeling the, the powerful love of Jesus for you and others in the center of your being. Imagine that. Instead of just being yourself with, you know, having, having some alcohol and feeling your inhibitions fall away and just enjoying yourself finally, let the Spirit set you free to enjoy yourself without the need of that stuff. Um, it's interesting that, that that passage talks about wine as a parallel to being filled with the Spirit. Like, one, like perhaps one thing is like the other. I'd encourage you just to ask, seek, and knock. I mean, again, that passage in Luke says... If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a scorpion. If you ask for water, he's not going to give you a snake. If even evil fathers give sustenance to their children, how much more will, the, will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him for it? Ask, seek, and knock. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit.
you stand with me as, as we come into this time of worship? And I would just say, if you desire to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit afresh, put your, put your hands out. This is, this is something I do in my worship. I just, you're just offering yourself to God. It's symbolic. God, fill me with your spirit. As we sing this song together, keep that in the center of your prayer, the center of your heart. Join me in prayer. Father God, what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ here at New Life. What an amazing thought that your body is gathering together at many different locations right now, worshiping you in unity, joining together in one voice, expressing the beauty of your spirit to one another. And Lord, I thank you for, for what you're doing in our church. Pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, the knowledge of the love of God, all that you desire to do in us, Lord, would be accomplished, that nothing would be, would be left out. So fill us, God, afresh. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.